to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the distinct privilege of being in conversation with an award-winning cartoonist and writer for The New Yorker magazine, and it's a contributor to The New York Times, Washington Post, Medium, CNN, and CBS News. Also, the author of, you know, more than, more than a dozen books for adults and children. Please welcome Liza Donnelly. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Rob. Great to be here. Thank you for coming on. And um, this is kind of like, you know, I, I feel like I'm moving up. I, I, I use the sort of video game comparison. It's like, all right, I'm, I went from easy. Now let's go to hard. Let's go to that next level <laughs> in, in a certain degree of like the background and the pedigree of the guests that I'm having on. So this is uh, truly a pleasure. Oh, well, you're you're embarrassing me. I'm not, I just I just put one foot in front of the other. I put my pants on like everybody else. I just wanted to be a cartoonist when I was little. So that's... I am. So that's what made me happy. That's that's great. And um, so so with that, I, I think that's a very good spot to start at. Um, let's start off with 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 the, the story. What is the Liza Donnelly story? Uh, where does it begin? <laughs> and what sort of um, creative things that you did you do as a young person? Obviously, you know, drawing, cartoon, yeah. all of that good stuff. But what were some of the things you were doing as a young person? Let's see. Uh, yeah. No, I grew up in Washington D.C., not not far from Baltimore. Um, and I was a really shy little girl, and I'm not sure why, whether it's innate or maybe had to do with the fact my older sister was somewhat of a terror. So my job in the family was to be, not nobody ever told me this, I had great parents, but I assumed I was supposed to be quiet because my sister was not. And um, and I really liked drawing. And I loved cartoons. So my mother showed me some cartoons by a man named James Thurber. And I started tracing them when I was probably seven years old, and it made her smile. And so that became my role as a, as a family member to provide humor, um, and that's what I did. So, and then I—I I don't know how far you want me to go, but I, I just kept drawing, and I went to to high, high school and college, and I was drawing through all of that, and um, graduated uh, in uh, in art. I, I majored in art finally, and um, had to move to New York. Loved New York. And um, got a job at a museum, and I just started submitting cartoons to the New Yorker. And within a couple of years, they bought one. And I mean, that was not, you know, that's not that's a it's a huge deal, and it was yeah. still is a huge deal to work for the New Yorker. But um, it it's not like it's golden ticket that you get immediately, um, you know, rolling in in the money and the fame, <laughs> but, which I'm not rolling in now. But it's like I just I just uh, kept having to push and and work hard and. Um, and here I am now, still cartooning and writing. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're going to talk more about writing. We're going to talk more about uh, cartooning, as it were. Um, but I want to want to go in this direction. About um, I like to I like to ask because I'm I used to be a drawer. That was that was what I was into. Oh, yeah. I was always drawing uh, comic book characters. I had my own comic briefly, and um, I was able to. And I, we were talking a little bit just kind of how how I get to things, if you will. Like, I may want to facilitate storytelling. That's kind of what I'm doing here. I was, a, you know, doing all of the stuff that goes into a comic book as like a teenager, like maybe even younger, probably probably like 12. And just, you know, do the whole art school thing. Didn't work out. But as an adult and kind of doing this, it's got all of my creative juices flowing because I'm talking to very talented people all the time. And um, 
I, I, I have a cat lawyer comic. I'm just going to say that. That's just what it is. I have a cat lawyer comic. And um, <laughs> one, of the, um, one of the guests that I interviewed recently, uh, she was like, I remember your comic. So when is the next issue coming out? I was like, oh, she's holding me to my work mm-hmm. schedule. I was like, I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. I was like, someone's listening. Someone's reading. So I, I'm always interested in learning about the routine that one puts in place. So can you describe your drawing routine? How often do you draw? draw like what goes into your work ultimately and how do you break up the day Mm. in terms of drawing and working on your work? Yeah. um, Well, the New Yorker magazine has sort of a built-in structure for us that you can either uh, follow or ignore. If you ignore it, then you don't get into the magazine. So we have, if you want to, so they, they, they look at cartoons once a week, usually Um, they take weeks off, but once a week they'll, they'll accept submissions on a Tuesday. So I try to do um, six to eight cartoons a week and send them into the New Yorker on, on Tuesday morning. Um, and uh, and then on top of that, so I, and I, when I do the, the cartoon drawing and idea coming up with, that's usually in the morning during my week. Um, I start on Friday trying to generate ideas and sketches and work through the weekend you know as a freelancer we we, we work all the time <laughs> um i'm sure you get that from people but i mean it's it's work that i enjoy so i'm, I'm lucky yeah. um yeah so the morning is the creative time and then the afternoons are usually for other projects like book projects or um i'm trying to do some film projects now or uh, illustration i do a lot of illustration for people the jobs that you know illustrating somebody else's article or um yeah things like that so that's and i'm teaching a class too so that'll take up some some of the afternoon time so as a as a freelance cartoonist you do a lot of different things nobody can make a living just at one there's not that many outlets anymore so um it's hard you gotta you gotta piece it together yeah i've i've been learning more of that as i've gone more into sort of doing this uh creative work doing this podcasting and Mm -hmm. having this desire to do more instead of just hey i do a podcast to do i could do a bunch of them but i want to start doing um more events more programming things of that nature Mm -hmm. to fully realize a vision and i've been working on this idea this sort of saying that kind of guides me I, I think most of it's going to be hybrid, you know, however it comes in, whether it's from a funding perspective, whether it's from a contribution perspective, like I might be doing some creative directing and that's going to take up a certain portion. And I've heard recently of this sort of idea of time blocking. Like I know between nine and noon, I'm going to get these things done. I need to check those off the list and prioritize those. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's always interesting to hear like how people go about their days and what mm-hmm. their routines look like. Creativity is a little hard to time block because you, I mean, you can and you should block out the time and sit sit at that desk. You can't wait for inspiration. But um, sometimes, like today, I had a I had a bad morning and I, I I didn't get achieved what I thought I would. I was just kept resisting. I kept pushing back. Like I don't want to do that. I don't do that. Um, so, but you have to be. There are going to be days like that. You have to be patient with yourself and know that, okay, there's tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll just try to do it tomorrow. I'll try to get to it tomorrow. Um, and when I say get to it, I mean, this is stuff that's creative, that's that's trying to figure something out, trying to rewrite a project. And it's sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tried to not cancel things or postpone and I just, I just didn't have it yesterday and I had two scheduled. I was like, those yeah. will be happening next week. I, I don't have it. And, and for, and kind of being kind to myself because usually exactly. if I, if I skip something, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be behind. And, ah, I could have just did it. And I was like, yeah, but I wouldn't have gone into it. And it wouldn't have been, I would have known it wouldn't have been the, the best thing that I could have done. So it's just like, yeah, yeah that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of podcasts, I just want to say you, you know, the way you're branching out, I've been hearing that podcasts lead to, to uh, um, streaming shows. So maybe you have a, you have a show in your, in your podcast, you know, have you heard that? I have heard that. I mean, <laughs> look, it's it's okay. uh, you know some opportunities here. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Some people say yeah. Facebook radio. I say Facebook podcast. I'm he- I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've even thrown out there this idea of, um, and I want to talk with more um, folks in like theater and the the, the theatrical arts because um, everything that's old is new again. And mm-hmm. I have gotten a lot of joy recently out of listening to the old uh, radio dramas of uh, the Twilight Zone. Oh, and yeah. and I'm like, these are back in this mm-hmm. way. And I remember like watching the show, but diving back to it in this sort of format, I was like, why aren't more plays done that way? Especially, you know, with the pandemic mm-hmm. and all, and that experience has changed considerably. And I think like there's an avenue for it and something is calling me to at least consult in that kind of context yeah. say, Hey, you know, you have, you know, the lines, you're the actor. Let's see if we can make something yeah. happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, I like, so most of what I'm doing is it's digital. I have like, I have my MacBook, you know, Brandon, I see your, your Mac in the background. Um, <laughs> and I have my, my digital stuff, but I always keep some sort of like analog component to it. I always have a notepad with me. I always have a pen with me. Just I'm walking. I like to do a walking practice. It's a little cold now, but I like to do a walking practice Mm -hmm. to kind of jot down ideas and observations. And ultimately they turn into questions or just something to, you know, enrich a conversation. Talk, talk about, if you will, sort of like how that analog to digital loop kind of works within your work, whether it's mm-hmm. in um, the cartoon side of things, whether it's in the writing side of things. But how, because it, it would imagine that most like animating, most illustration, most drawing is digital now, but mm-hmm. there still has to be an analog component. So how does that work for you? That's a great question. Uh, it's a mixture, although it's more digital now than ever before. So I work, I, I like to to use my iPad for sketches for my weekly cartoons. I'll do the sketches on my iPad and send them in that way um, to to the editor. Uh, and But then if they, if the New Yorker buys one, um, I will do it on paper, or real paper. Just because I've always done it that way for the New Yorker. I, I'm uh, except for one time when I broke my right arm, I couldn't draw with my right hand. So I did a, a finished drawing with my left hand, which made it really interesting. It made a different um, feel to the drawing because I'm not ambidextrous, but I learned how to, on the iPad, I learned how to draw, you know, you know, with an iPad, you make a mark and then you can immediately erase it with, with a push of the button and then make another mark until you get get it just the way you want it. But, but the drawing with my left hand, was much more loose than usual and I liked it. So that was the only one time that I did a finished drawing for the New Yorker on the iPad. But so I use pen, I use an old fashioned crow quill pen 
and regular paper uh, and ink, you know, ink in a bottle for those finished drawings. But most of my other creative efforts are on the computer, either on the iPad sketching. I use a program called Paper, which is owned by WeTransfer. And um, I've done some animation on the iPad. And um, I also like Procreate. Uh, a little bit, I'm learning more about Procreate. And um, and all my writing is on is on the computer, of course. I don't I, do I I used to have a, I used to carry a sketchbook around with me, but I don't anymore, which is kind of sad. I if I have an idea or a, a seed of an idea, I'll use my phone to make a note. Yeah. So uh, I have sketchbooks, and sometimes I'll bring them with me, just thinking I gotta keep drawing in a sketchbook, um, if only for. You know, when I'm when I die, somebody will have a record of what I've done in in a nice sketchbook. But uh, yeah, so it's a mixture. Yeah, a, I like that. Definitely, um, I, ha I have the mixture, and I find that on occasion I go back and I'm sketching sometimes in the margins of my notes. Oh, really? Like, uh -huh. I was like, why did I draw this? This has nothing <laughs> to do with this question. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to. Because I, I have these, I like to have the smaller notepads, um, just something that can pop right into my breast pocket. Exactly. And um, I remember at a point, I, I like these really, I like these gel pens. Like I always use black ink. Mm -hmm. And I remember keeping them in there too much. And, you know, I just take my pants off, put them in the washing machine to wash. And I was like, I did not take that pen out. I was like, I ruined several <laughs> pairs of pants. This is just terrible. And I, I feel like somewhere the digital gods are yelling and saying, ha ha, told you, you should stick with us only. So yeah. going back a bit, um, so the point that you decided to like professionally pursue writing, cartoon work, uh, illustration, what astonished you about writing and illustration and kind of what disappointed you? It may not be the actual act because I think we get a lot of joy out of what the act is, but some of the stuff that goes around it, um, like I've been hearing more and more, I need to hire an assistant. I need to hire a manager. I'm doing most of this sort of stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I like, but also it, it doesn't free me up. So like, it's like, I got to train a person. Then I have to have to trust the person and all of this and make sure that my voice is still being heard. And let's say someone reaching out, you know, I'd rather reach out to you than have an assistant reach out and they might miss something in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that stuff is a little bit of a challenge for me to kind of juggle and I'm a little apprehensive to yeah. do that. Mm -hmm. What what about like maybe around your work or what have you that you've either been astonished about or like in a sort of positive way or like disappointed about? You know, I went into drawing cartoons to make my family members happy or smile. And I've been astonished with how how it, it, it's it, particularly with social media, the internet. When, when I started working in that world, um, how many people I have been able to make happy, and that's astonishingly wonderful. And uh, they'll tell me um, on social media. I, I don't usually get any negative comments for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, I'm grateful they don't. Um, even during the election, I did get some. No, a few. I mean, I got some, but not like some other people. Um, but that was that's that's still a joy for me to to hear the positivity that that my drawings can bring to other people. Um, and it's not just also it's not just the ideas that seem to make people smile, but it's the actual drawing or the act of drawing. Like I now, I will videotape my hand drawing something with pen and 
ink uh, on paper. And it gives people such joy. They, they tell me it. They, they like seeing the hand drawing. Um, and uh, it, it's peaceful. It's calming, they say. And that's that's a nice surprise. Very nice, nice um, surprise. Negative. Um, well, how hard it is. It's just really difficult to keep the creative uh the, my create my creative ideas fresh that's that's really hard and um uh, I don't know I think it was hard when I started out but it's still hard um and trying to adjust to new technologies and new new realities in the print world and the publishing world that's been fun and it's been I love I'm I'm like you I like to try a lot of different things I want to keep reinventing myself keeping my voice as best I can my drawing yeah. voice my my thinking voice consistent if I can, but also try, but, but trying new technologies. Um, uh, and that's been challenging, but fun, but yeah. So the negative is mostly just how hard it, it is to maintain the ideas that are of interest to other people. I mean, I can, I could, you know, I could do abstract paintings and just please myself for weeks on end but that i i because i'm a cartoonist i like being connected to to the world and that's part of the job um that's the challenge is learning how to keep connected to people out there yeah yeah um i in, in doing this and starting off with that sort of first season if you will and then going into season eight uh or in season eight and you know as i look back at that first season it was only 20 podcasts and the you know season seven was over 120 podcasts wow. you know in that, that isolated season and you know trying to during that time like find like really what am i trying to do here is this purely for me is it for a combination of me and whoever's checking it out maybe they get something from a person's process that maybe they can nip maybe they can you know learn something from is it to entertain mm -hmm. you know what is exactly. it and Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's multiple things there. And, you know, I may get something out of a conversation with you that someone else is like, oh, that's cool. But then mm -hmm. they may hear something from you later that really resonates with them from a writing standpoint or from an illustration standpoint mm -hmm. that really clicks. And, you know, that's the thing that I'm kind of like understanding and, and, and getting. But early on, I didn't know that. I was just like, I want to do this, damn it. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And one of the things you said earlier, and I, I saw the um, watching the hand draw, like seeing that people love, and I read this in Austin Cleon's book, people love seeing like the process, seeing mm. when you're you're doing it and sharing what pieces of what you're doing. Um, mm. You know, when I move into, as I was mentioning about having an assistant, um, you know, having people kind of capture you know, part of the interview and posting that and then you'll see it later. Like, oh, wow, this is some behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. People really kind of get that. And it's like work is being done. Work is always being done. Mm -hmm. And um, it is soothing. I saw a few of the videos or, or a lot. It is. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay, that's, that's a hand yeah. moving right there. I like this. Also, it, it's the, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I particularly because we're so, we're so into technology now. We're all so connected. We're all in our phones all the time. I think seeing the actual hand drawing or I'll do when I'm doing this live drawing stuff that I do, which I think you mentioned in my, in my bio, where I go to an event um, and live draw what I'm seeing on my iPad 
and then tweet it out immediately and use some comments. I comment sometimes sarcastically or humorously, but often just not. Just being there and reporting visually, and other people like to like to follow that because they can be there with me. And so they're seeing the event through my eyes, but they're also they feel like they're there. And I'm behind the scenes. Like I've been to the Oscars. I've been to the D the Democratic National Convention, things like that, which I find fascinating. And I'll draw the speakers, but I also go behind the scenes and draw the people painting the Oscar statues or taking out the trash at the DNC or whatever. And um, uh, it's a connection. It's another, I mean, I started this business, started this world of cartooning as connecting with other people. And I'm still doing that, but in yeah. different different ways than I when I was seven. So right. It's all about right. communication, right? It's all about connecting with other people. Yeah, and it, I think in doing this this live drawing is makes it a more of an immersive experience for those who are following mm. it and then seeing it in this sort of different perspective. And I had this this period where I go down the rabbit hole. I'm not going to lie. I go down the <laughs> rabbit hole whenever I see something. So it might be something yeah. on television. There's that's a um, a. Uh, like a, a literal documentary and then there may be an accompanying sort of fictional product that comes out and then i'm in the wikipedia i'm looking up oral histories it's like i need to get the full thing the scope mm -hmm. you know outside of being there next to the person who lived it i need to get that scope so i can understand the uh -huh. situation and i i think it's something about being able to capture it maybe in that way um i like this idea of people watching something and live tweeting it i know a lot of that was happening um I know that uh that Leslie Jordan was doing some of that RIP and mm -hmm. it's 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 really it's really funny. It's really mm -hmm. fun too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um I want to talk about writing a bit. Um mm -hmm. so this is this term I was reading um digital virtual journalism. Let's talk about that a little bit. So in about 7 years ago somebody gave me an iPad as a gift and I started playing around with it and um watch I was watching the State of the Union address. It was it was Obama, I think. Uh and is that right? I, my my dates might be off, but um, and uh, I always like watching shows like that. I, I'm a political junkie, so I um, and uh, I started tweeting. I, I realized I could tweet these things out immediately, and they're very quick, quick, easy, you know, loose drawings. And it caught on. People, I found that people really kind of liked it because nothing was happening like that on Twitter yet. There was there were um, a lot of photographs and some cartoons, but nothing that was this quick and this reactive. Um, so I just started doing it more and more for myself on a, of events that I knew a lot of us were watching at the same time in the country and then the world, like the, the Grammys, the Oscars, the Tonys, the the, the award shows. Um, and then I, people started paying me for it. Uh, this is right up to the pandemic. I was working for CBS News and a little bit for The New Yorker and doing that kind of thing. Um, and it was, I, I just... I don't, I mean, live draw, live drawing has been around for centuries. You know, people, artists go in the street and draw what they see. So that's not new, but the digital part of it is something that I think I sort of innovated because I do it quickly. I didn't know I could do it when I, until I did it. Um, talk about trying new things all the time. Uh, I realized that, you know, I, I do draw people. I draw, I've drawn celebrities, but they don't. So I'm not a caricaturist, but it's an impression of a celebrity. Um, yeah. It's somebody that, you know, you you might be able to recognize from my drawing who that is, but it's not that necessary. Um, so anyway, digital live, digital journalism, because it's a way of talking about the world in visual terms. 
So that's just something I came up with. <laughs> I like I like it. I like it when terms are coined. I like it when it's like, oh yeah, this is this is the idea. Yeah. Well, I, um, I had a buddy. Uh, he was a food blogger. I was like, no, no, no. You're an Epicurean journalist. Oh. He's like, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I think blogging is kind of like. We don't use that word anymore, do we? Blogging? It's, it's, de- it's deprecated. It's a deprecated yeah. term. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get traction because my, because what that is is very quiet. The, that kind of reporting is is not it's not particularly. Uh, I mean, a lot of people seem to have liked it when I did it, and I still do it when I can. But the pandemic sort of put a crimp in my style. That not you know a lot of I couldn't go places, so I wasn't hired to do it. Um, but it's a quiet form of journalism, and um, it's hard to convince outlets that it's worthwhile but i don't know i'm not giving up i'll just keep doing it when i can i relate to that in 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 doing this um people that i've i've spoken to especially this sort of moment in time it's like oh this is journalism this is um archival work this is anthropology it's all of these different things Mm -hmm. yeah and those are weighty terms. I'm like, I'm just a podcaster, man. I just do it because I, you know, I, I had a, uh, <laughs> I got a little tight about somebody talking about my city. And but, but I think that there is a lot of value in these things being documented and having this sort of, you know, from this I think interesting period here, where there are cultural shifts. Um, mm-hmm. You know, podcasts really grew during 2020. Uh-huh. So that's going to be different than that first sort of series of interviews that happened at the tail end of 2019 uh-huh. and even different in terms of what we're talking about like now. And at a point, you know, the first few during 2020, when it was very fresh, you, you know, have that sort of customary. So how business changed for you during the pandemic? But <laughs> at a point people are like, I just do what I'm doing. I'm either working more and doing it in a different way. And now that's a question that's almost fallen out. Mm-hmm. And as I look at, I keep a, um, I keep a spreadsheet of questions um, that I use and I try to modify as needed, but I have like a certain series of questions and then I modify it based on the bio. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of that comes from incorporating this, um, you know, listening to the Austin Cleon books, listening to, the rogue artist uh, book and just kind of thinking about like what is interesting, what makes sense to kind of keep it fresh, to keep that thinking fresh. Mm -hmm. And I just remember one that stuck, stuck out about George Carlin that he would always get rid of his joke books. You know, once he's like done, you know, this is what I'm doing for this series. This these are the bits for this year or what have you, this book goes in the trash and starting fresh. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of playing with that idea um, as time goes on and as time progresses to keep sort of that thinking fresh and mm-hmm. keep that perspective fresh. And um, I notice when I travel more and I see the world more, I am coming up with different perspectives and different questions, which again, going to this idea of expanding and kind of getting out of, this is kind of what I do, kind of mm-hmm. what you were touching on, like being able to do so many different things. I think talking mm-hmm. to more people from different locations gives you a different perspective and different references. Like if you're saying, Oh, I was, you know, inspired by these people. I had no idea. Tell yeah. me more, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Um, I've been fortunate to travel a lot too. Cause, uh, and I know a lot of international cartoonists and I love getting their perspective on, cause if you look at cartoons from, People in different countries, if if they're not uh, if they're non-captioned, you know, if you, if 
because you can't read their language sometimes. If, it, if it's a visual, just a visual cartoon, uh, you can see how they feel about their country, about their situation, and about the United States. So it's a great way to, to to look at different perspectives when you meet people in completely different circumstances. And I I always thought that I, as an American woman, a white white American woman, I that's all I could draw about um, because that's what I know. And I think there's a certain truth to that that I I can't. As a Western woman, I can't go and pretend to know what it's like to be an Afghan woman. Um, but there are certain things that we, and I discovered this about 10 years ago, that there's certain things that we as women all have in common. And that's certain, depending on where you live to different degrees, there's, we're all um, harassed and belittled and underpaid. And, and so I try to draw about that, try to find the commonality among us, uh, no matter where we are. And I guess that's true of everything, right? You try to find the human element, that the things that we all have in common, um, and and go from there. It's not yeah. always easy. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't draw about. I don't draw about racial issues that much because I don't. I don't. I can't live that experience. You know, I can draw from white person's perspective, but you know, how, how really how significant is that? How how important would that be? You know, so. That, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, in that, that speech I was telling you about earlier, I was able to share some things that I experienced and uh, being a six foot four, 300 pound black man, it's. Whoa, you're tall. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, hey, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry that you dealt with that. And so on. I was like, yeah, been this way for 37 years. Just just what the you know <laughs> kind, of, kind of experience is. And. I was like, huh, you only know what I think sometimes, guys. If <laughs> you only had an idea. And mm -hmm. always it goes yeah. for it always goes for the humor in it. It's like, how can I make this funny? Because that's just mm -hmm. the, the, the the mechanism there. Because it is a lot of mm -hmm. stuff that's out there that's that's rough. And even if, you know, obviously in doing this podcast, my perspectives being a person that has this experience, this lived experience is going to lead to who I'm interested in talking to, who I think has mm -hmm. an interesting story and maybe how the conversation goes. And that's just baked in basically based on interest, based on, you know, what is it about me? Like I'm into drawing, I, I'm into, you know, art, I'm into speaking with people and mm -hmm. looking for folks that are sort of not necessarily in these the fringes, but folks that it's like, oh, what what do you have to say? What's your story about? Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'm truly mm -hmm. interested in. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great way to go about it. I got two more questions, two more real, real okay. questions, and I got those rapid fire ones. Uh, All right, I'm scared. So, <laughs> don't be, don't be. Um, <laughs> so I've got to ask, how you get it done? I mean, writing books. You know, you, you mentioned the you know towards schedule. That's that's there with so many different things that you're doing, and this sort of mm -hmm. hybrid uh, work work patterns. Uh, how could you walk us through like the uh, conception to completion for a book? That's that's the thing I'm really interested in because I want to talk about books a little bit. You know, you come up with an idea, and um, I'm, I'm hesitating because it's changed in the last five, eight years. It's not as easy to publish now, even for me. Even though I've, I've had I've had 18 books published of different kinds, and um, it's still hard to get one published. But uh, you come up with an idea and you sort of flesh it out on on a word document and then and then i would talk to my to my agent i i uh, and and see if send the document to, to him see if he thought there was anything there and um 
and if if he did then then we'd work on a proposal together so uh, and that would often include because i'm a cartoonist it would include a lot of drawings and and uh written materials and and things that is explain the book and also explain why this book now and and what who what the competition is so yeah. there's a whole format to proposals and they can be pretty long i i did a proposal the last one i wrote was for a a project and i had to to write out each like a, a summary of each chapter um the book didn't sell so it's been shelved and i'm i'm reworking it now but um that's that's basically it. It's it's a process working with an agent trying to get a, a you know a, a package to to convince the publishers. Look look at this. Look look how much this will yeah. sell. You know, it's a business. No, that 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 helps. That like the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, this reminds me of something I've done, and you know, pitching like MOUs and things of that nature. This is why I think we should do this. This is what the impact is going to be. Mm -hmm. This is what we can probably make all of, off of it, all of that different stuff. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I've, that's, the, that's the first time I've actually got that sort of insight. So, so thank you. You're welcome. Let, let's talk about, uh, lastly here, let's talk about Very Funny Ladies, um, the New Yorkers, uh, women mm -hmm. cartoonists. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. And if you will, could you describe like that feeling of having your your book be a respected resource for historians? That's 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 big. Oh, thanks. That's that was a thrill. So in two thousand five, or before that, I always knew there were not as many women drawing cartoons. I just knew that growing up, and didn't 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 occur to me that that was something I needed to pay attention to. I just wanted to be a cartoonist, you know. And I did. I became a cartoonist. But then around the, the, the turn of the the century, I um. I started to look into it more and um, did some research at the New Yorker archives. I wanted to know who the women that came before me at the New Yorker were. And I found there were women there in 1925, believe it or not. Wow. And um, and then there weren't many, but there were some. And so I wrote a history um, about those women and then leading up to, at the time, 2005. Uh, so it's a narrative history with, with little as much as I could get pre-internet about these women, um, little little uh, biographical information and stories about them. And I also touched on comics and an illustration to what was going on at the time. Um, and then in 2017, uh, that book did well. And that was, and I mean, it didn't do well. It sold and it got, it was well-respected. I didn't sell many copies. I mean, I didn't make any money off of it, um, but I was happy to have done it, really happy. Um, and then in, in 2017, it became clear the New Yorker had as many women cartoonists as men in one issue that 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 year. And that was that was new. That was brand new. Yeah. That was history. So I, I started to think, well, I need to do an update on this because there's more women. And I was aware of that happening. So I approached the publisher that had done the first book and I said, let's can we do an update? And they said, yeah, sure. So I wrote new chapters, interviewed many of the new women who are there now um, to uh to produce this new book. It's called Very Funny Ladies. Um, and um, what's great also is that with the new, it, it, one of the reasons why there are more women now than there were is because the editor, the new cartoon editor and the senior editor, David Remnick, her name is Emma Allen and David Remnick, have made a concerted effort to get more diversity in among the community of cartoonists at the New Yorker, and they're succeeding. So there are more um, more women and more people of color and and gender diversity and, and some international cartoonists as well among the among the, the contributors so it's great 
And it's just, I'm really happy. And and the film project I'm trying to work on now is to do a documentary about this, um, about, about the uh, women cartoonists. Cause I, there have been a few over the years, but nothing really comprehensive, not about this kind of cartooning anyway, because it covers so many different uh, topics uh, cartooning is we're like anthropologists as you mentioned a few minutes ago we we study we study we study culture and we study people and so it tells us a lot about ourselves so yeah. thank you thank you thank you for, for 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 doing that work and taking that on because uh you know documentaries that might be a conversation that uh we may be talking about a little bit later because i'm working on uh something this as well uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another another we, conversation yeah yeah, yeah. uh so, so that's the kind of like the conclusion of the real questions. And thank you for indulging me. And of course, now, <laughs> and now <laughs> this is the part where all that goodwill goes out of the window, and we're going to start <laughs> getting weird. Uh, now, um, so I got four. I got four for you. I got four rapid fire questions for you. Okay. And as I tell everyone, don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. They're just oh, that's fun, not easy questions. for me to do, but I'll try. Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to start off with kind of a softball. Um, um, what is the last place you've traveled? Norway. How'd you like it? I like it. Oslo. I, I was there for a cartoonist, uh, no, a conference on international uh, dissidents. So I live draw it. It was great. I've been there before. If you could only do, okay, this this is a tough one. This is a, um, What would you do if you only had one hour to work on a project a day? Like if you, you only had one hour a day to work on any project, what would you do in that one hour? Uh, I see. I'm overthinking it. <laughs> draw. I guess I draw because that's what I know how to do. And uh, but I, the reason why I hesitate is I've been doing that for forty plus years, drawing cartoons, and I'm excited about the the new projects which don't involve drawing on paper. So probably draw because I keep thinking I need to stick with what I do well. So. That, that's that's what we go back to. Um, I'm like, can we just get a mic? I can I can just freestyle it. I don't need the prep questions. I'll just freestyle it. We only got an hour. Are you sure? <laughs> that's literally how it is. It's like, what can I do best? How can I um, have the most impact? I think that's the way that we look at that yeah, sort of uh, that's true. Sort of question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's that's exactly it. You're right. Uh, who are your top three cartoonists? And I know that's going to be a challenge, probably. <laughs> I know. That's not fair because they're some of them are my friends and I'm married to one. So, <laughs> oh no, uh, no. Do I have to answer that? Uh, I'll I'll pick uh, dead people. <laughs> do you know what? That that's a good that's a good way out actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's sad because many of the 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 cartoonists that are well, okay, I'll say uh, James Thurber, uh, Charles Schultz, and um, a woman named Barbara Sherman. I say, um, you have to look them up, everybody. But um, everybody knows Charles Schultz. But uh, um, James Thurber was the reason why I'm a cartoonist. Is I used to trace his cartoons, and also Charles Schultz. Um, and then um, Barbara Sherman is a feminist cartoonist from the New Yorker back in the 20s, and I, I think her work is just really fun. Or it was in the 20s. This is the last question I got for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten some interesting answers on this one. I think uh, I think Keith and I gave me the probably my, the funniest answer I got on this one. Uh, <laughs> what is something that without fail makes you laugh? People dancing. I mean, I love to dance, but I, it doesn't make me laugh. But I, what I like about what 
It makes me laugh. Physical humor like that, I think. People people being silly on the dance. That's not very funny. Sorry. What did Keith say? Keith is a friend that you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it was something very ridiculous. Uh, it was about an airplane situation that was very, <laughs> very ridiculous. Um, as a person that's been caught um, dancing in grocery stores a lot to the music, and like as I described my dimensions earlier, <laughs> it's hard to miss me. And it's always, it feels like it's always this this one woman that's there. It's a different woman. I know it's a different woman each time. She's like, I thought you were a little bad, so it was really funny. And I was like, how'd you see me? I was in the international food aisle buying hot sauce. And she's like, I, I can see it every time. She's like, you're always getting down. It's like, look. I think that's why I like TikTok so much, is I just love watching people be uninhibited and dance, you know, and have, uh, I just, and it doesn't always make me laugh, but it, it can make me laugh. But, Yeah. My husband asked me once what he was interviewing me for something he was doing. And he said, what makes you laugh? And, and I said, the things that people do, almost fu the futile things that people do to make themselves happy. And dancing, it's not futile, but it's sort of almost pointless. If you think about it, dancing is, it just makes you happy. Yeah, so, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. So that's pretty much it for, for the interview here. Um but I, I want to do two things. I want to um, thank you for coming on to this podcast and uh, spending your afternoon with me. Uh, and two, um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell folks where they can check you out, website, social media, oh, all thanks. that good stuff. The floor is yours. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I enjoyed talking. Um, I hope it was interesting to people. So uh, on Twitter and and Instagram, and I'm I'm at Liza Donnelly which is spelled like my name. And um, I'd love people to check out my podcast, my um, <laughs> newsletter on Substack. So it's called Seeing Things, but I think if you Google me on Substack, you'll find it. It's, uh, what what is the URL? It's substack. I have it here. LizaDonnelly.substack.com. And um, it's a, it's, I post there every weekday. Oh, my website. Sorry, my website, LizaDonnelly.com. Sorry, yeah. LizaDonnelly.com. LizaDonnelly.com. Mm -hmm. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Liza Donnelly for coming on to the podcast and chopping it up with me. This has been a lot of fun. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Mm -hmm.